Good morning, everybody. Please be seated. And uh, it's just great to worship you all in church today, wherever you're worshipping from. And we are so blessed, aren't we, when we can sing the words of Scripture as we just did in that beautiful song. It becomes a prayer. And we have just asked God to give us more wisdom in the secret heart, the place where we live and move and have our being. It is also a very powerful thing to be able to include the words of Scripture in our prayers, especially the beautiful and powerful words of Jesus. But if you're anything like me, it's easy to forget, as we've just sung, even to forget the words of Scripture. And our prayer in that song was to help us not forget all your goodness. And to do that, we do need regular reading of his precious word. And I came across this description of the Bible recently, which really stirred me. And I invite you to read it through with me from the overhead and uh, to let it speak to you. The Bible contains the mind of God. Will you read with me? The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveller's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian charter. Here, paradise is restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labour, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. Will you please join me in prayer now? Loving Father, we can never thank you enough for this wonderful book. When Jesus returned to heaven, you gave us the Holy Spirit to help us. He also enables us to understand all the books that comprise the Bible that still speak so clearly of us to us today. You have taken care of all our needs. Please forgive us for the times we have neglected it, for the times we have lost interest in it, and for the times we have even questioned it or doubted it. We thank you for the wonderful moments when we knew something we read that you were actually speaking directly to us and was just what we needed to know at that time. It's like receiving a hug from you. Thank you that when, you come to, when we come to you with open hearts, a desire to know you more and to follow your leading, your Holy Spirit helps us to apply your words in our lives like we've just heard this morning of the story of the Good Samaritan. Thank you for the, best, for the times it has shown us the way forward, brought deep comfort, strengthened us, corrected us and increased our faith. 
Thank you for the amazing grace that was shown through the record of the life, death and resurrection of our wonderful Saviour Jesus and all that he accomplished for us and for your incredible love for your people that constantly shines through every book, lighting the way for us and bringing joy and peace to our hearts. We are so grateful, Lord, and we give you all the thanks in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Church, it's my, my pleasure to um, invite Mon onto the stage. Uh, Mon's going to be sharing and speaking with us this morning. And uh, via, via introduction, I thought I'd just share something um, this week, uh, something came up on my feed on, on social media, and it was a video of uh, a well-known pastor who had a successful radio ministry, and he was sharing how a contemporary of his came to him, uh, another pastor, and said, what do I need to do to have a successful radio ministry like yours? And his answer was, the first thing you need to do is not want to have a successful radio ministry. <laughs> and I thought it was quite profound um, in that it's about the character of the person and it's about the motivation not being about self but about longing to just please the Lord. And I, I say that this morning because as I introduce Mon, I feel like th- there was a bit of that in, in what's happened for you today in that Monica didn't come charging up and say, I want to, want to do this. <laughs> We've tapped her on the shoulder and we said, we believe that the Lord's calling you, She's, that the Lord has gifted you uh, to be able to do, do this. There was a bit of fear and intrepidation, and but there was also a, a sense of a, a song in your heart, wasn't there? A sense of something uh, in her that, that it felt right to do. So I just want to pray for Mon before she comes to share with us. Thanks. Lord, we thank you for Mon. We thank you for her servant heart, for her humility. And Lord, we just thank you that you have gifted her, uh, that you, you have uh, journeyed with her up until now and that all that you have shown her to be true, she has taken on board and that that has shaped who she is. And we just pray that she'll be able to share out of who she is and who you are this morning, that it's not about about her like that person wanting something, but it is about longing to seek you and to serve you. And so, Lord, we just pray that you bless her words, that you bless our time and that we'd all hear your voice speaking this morning. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Can I just check? Is that my water? Can I have that water? That's my water. Fantastic. Oh, hang on. Oh, I feel really sure under this. <laughs> oh, it moves. Oh, that'll do. Yep, that's all good. Um, I'm really excited to be here and I think equally terrified (laughs) and I keep telling myself I shouldn't be terrified because this is kind of what I do in my week or sort of fortnightly as part of my Bible study. Um, I teach up front but it's a bit different being here Um, in front of my my beautiful home church so um, let's just put aside the being terrified and hold on to the excited hey. I just want to just start with um, actually putting a spotlight on Bible study. Um, It was really interesting that Carol prayed about reading the Bible and um, I've been a Christian since I was a kid, but it wasn't until I actually started reading the Bible 
properly, studying the Bible, not studying with head knowledge, but studying with heart knowledge, that my faith journey changed. And it was through the um, organisation Bible Study Fellowship that I found the tool that really worked for me to study the Bible in depth and really learn about God. And when I learn about God and about Jesus, apply his words to my life. So I'm just, have I got my PowerPoint thingy here? Wow, look at that. Um, so Bible study, this is my little spotlight. <laughs> Bible Study Fellowship is an um, international, interdenominational uh, um, organisation that focuses on in-depth Bible study. It's been around since the 60s and um, has always maintained being in-depth about the study. Um, so there's classes around the world and each year um, they focus on a particular um, usually on a particular book of the Bible. So at the moment we're going through chapter by chapter the book of John. Um, so around the world people are studying John with the resources of Bible study. Um, one of the things, oh, and it can be sort of online or in person. So I'm involved in the, on, in an in-person group uh, down at uh, Park Home that meets weekly. Um, one of the things I love about Bible Study Fellowship is that they layer the learning and so they have this, what that's called, fourfold approach <laughs> to studying. Firstly, just studying the Bible. So studying a passage by yourself when they provide questions to prompt um, your thinking. And then you get together with in community to listen to a word, and that's sort of where I'm particularly involved. Study, then get together in small groups and discuss what you've learned and then there's also notes to read. So this layer upon layer of going over the same passage multiple times and just getting more and more out of it. And the focus of Bible, this Bible study organisation is on heart change. It's not on a head knowledge. It's about how his word is changing your life. Um, and I've certainly found that experience. It's when I sat in his word, when I meditated on his word, when I studied it from my heart, that my view of God changed and that and my life changed. So um, the talk I'm going to be doing today is um, based on a, a talk I gave a couple of months ago of John, and it's the, it looks at the story of the, women, uh, the woman at the well. And, um, oops, that'll do. <laughs> and um, how she encountered Jesus, what, um, what he said to her, and uh, how she responded, how his words to her changed her life. So I'm in sort of Bible study style, going to be going through this passage and uh, digging deeper into how um, and unpacking it a bit about uh, what, what goes on and what we can learn from it. Um, I think the essence of my, my message this morning is based around satisfaction. So that song we sang, that um, Psalm 90, Lord satisfy us, um, was just perfectly chosen by the Spirit <laughs> to be part of this, this message. So where are we looking for satisfaction? Where are we looking for fulfilment? And what will really satisfy those deep inner longings in us? So I've actually titled my uh, sermon, Chocolate Coffee Holiday Homes. <laughs> in his words, I don't think those particular words were Jesus' words. Let's say that they're my words. But Sam's um, sort of sermon series is looking at in Jesus' words, and so that's what I'm looking at. And uh, you'll get the chocolate coffee holiday homes as we go along. 
Um, but first, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever played the if-only game? If-only game? Oh, yes. You know what I'm talking about. Some people are like, nah, if-only game. Don't know that game. Well, I bet you probably have played it, even if you don't realise. Perhaps you haven't called it a game, though. Um, I don't intentionally play this game, but this is what it can look like for me. If only I had more time and less responsibilities, I would be less frantic and more available for others, or I'd have more time myself. If only my kids were proactive at doing their jobs, I would have more time because I have less responsibilities. If only I had some chocolate in the cupboard, I could eat my stress away. If only I heard yeses there. <laughs> if only I could get my hands on a large latte, I would feel more alive this morning, or at least more awake, I guess. Uh, if only my family and my home life had worked differently, I could have gone back to work and pursued my career. If only my husband worked less, he would have time for me. And this is my favourite. If only I had a holiday home, I could escape my family and my responsibilities and find rest and refreshment. <laughs> so this is the if only game. If only things changed, if only things perfectly suited my need, if everyone else was perfect, if life was perfect, then I would be satisfied. The if only game. Have you played it? Yes, I thought so. <laughs> so I've been really caught up in this idea of getting a holiday home. Um, recently, life has been, over the past year, pretty challenging. Um, it's been hard. There's been an overwhelming number of things that I've been annoyed about or frustrated about or haven't been at a change, and I've just wanted to escape. You know, escapism, escapism's good, right? <laughs> just run away from it all. Uh, but then my hubby reminds me of the downsides of having a holiday home, like burst my bubble. <laughs> and although I keep looking on realestate.com, don't tell him, really, I know that a holiday home isn't going to fix anything. And actually, it's just a Band-Aid fix. It's something external that I can pretend I have control over and I can pretend satisfies a need. But really, it's not going to do anything about the stuff that is deep inside me. It's not actually going to bring fulfilling rest or lasting peace or joy. It's not going to stop that churning in my heart and my head. Maybe it would for a while, but I'm pretty sure the benefit would only be temporary and disappear pretty quick. I'm pretty sure the novelty of a holiday home would wear off. Not saying holiday houses are bad. If you've got one, can I have it? <laughs> as you think about your own life, what comes to mind as those things that you are longing for? What are those deep internal things in you that say, if only this changed, then I would be satisfied, then I would find rest, then I would find peace, whatever it is. My other question to you is, where are you looking for solutions, for answers? Chocolate? <laughs> Coffee? Holiday homes? Nah, they're not going to do it. 
So with all of that at the sort of front of your mind, I'm going to take you through this story in John's Gospel. It's uh, chapter 4, and I'll be doing it kind of in Bible study fashion. Now, if you have a Bible with you or you've got your Bible app, um, I encourage you to read along. I'm going to read the first sort of half of this story, but we'll be sort of taking it all the way to the end of verse 30. So John chapter 4, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who was baptising but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground uh, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman says, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave you the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So this is fairly early on in Jesus' public ministry. Jesus had been in Jerusalem, but some conflict was brewing. John the Baptist was baptising. Jesus was baptising. It was gathering the sort of catching the attention of the Pharisees who were the religious leaders and they were not really convinced that this was a good thing. So there was some hostility going on and Jesus because of this, Jesus decides to leave the region of Judea and head north to Galilee. Now geographically between these two um, areas is the region of Samaria. So Judea is down down south, Galilee is up the top and Samaria is in the middle. And the quickest and most logical route to get between the two would be through Samaria. But essentially, Jews and Samaritans were not really enthusiastic to connect with each other because of a mixture of um, historical conflicts and religious differences, and that came out in in the story with the kids this morning. So because of this, Jews uh, travelling would bypass Samaria by either going up the coast or crossing the river uh, Jordan to avoid contact with the Samaritan people. Which is why it's intriguing to read that Jesus had to go to Samaria. Did you pick that up? He had to go through Samaria. No other Jew had to go through Samaria to get from Judea to Galilee. There was no roadblock stopping him. There was no great wall to prohibit entry. Yet it says he had to go through Samaria. To me, this is the first hint in the story that Jesus was intentionally and deliberately setting himself up for an encounter with someone. If you look at all the stories um, about Jesus, and actually the Bible as a whole really, Jesus is not random. 
There is purpose in everything he says and does. There is intention in who he meets and where he places himself. I find this really encouraging because life feels so random, doesn't it? Like I just go through life crashing and stumbling. Things don't always make sense. It just feels really random. Yet when we look at how Jesus has purpose and intention in the way he lives, I can apply that to the way that way he works with that sort of intentionality and that purpose to my life. And I can trust that even when I feel that everything's random, God can work and is working in my life with purpose and with intention. So to see the intentionality of God, of Jesus in this story, I think it's really cool. He had to go through Samaria, not because he was forced to, but because he had someone he was going to meet. Not that they knew that yet. This particular encounter also really encouraged me about the sort of people Jesus seeks to engage with. Again, if you look at all the stories of Jesus, the only similarities between all the people who encounter him are they are human, they are sinners, they all need Jesus as their saviour. The differences between them are hugely broad. We see differences in culture and demographic, age, status, uh, health, financial position. Jesus doesn't focus in on one type of people. All the barriers we might put up about who deserves God's grace and mercy are absolutely broken down when you look at who Jesus reaches out to. And in this story... We see Jesus reaching out to someone we can only assume is spiritually lost and spiritually thirsty. The woman who comes to the well hasn't come searching for Jesus. She comes to get water. She knows nothing about Jesus. And yet Jesus sets himself up to be encountered. Now it's really interesting to compare this story with the story in John in uh, chapter 3 that's just before this one because it's about a different encounter with a guy called Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a member of the Jewish Rulish Council, and he is highly respected, he is rich, and he's influential. But while other Jews were scornful about Jesus, Nicodemus sneaks out at night to question Jesus, to engage with him. Nicodemus is like the polar opposite to the woman at the well. He thinks he's got it all figured because he knew um, and followed the Jewish law. He upheld religious tradition and therefore he was figured he was good to go with God. Unlike the woman, he does seek out Jesus. And in his encounter, he discovers that religion and law don't make him good with God. He needs to be born again by the Spirit. Jesus talks to him about this. He says, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus gets totally confused about what Jesus is saying about being born again. He can't transition from the idea of um, physical birth to the spiritual birth that Jesus is speaking uh, about. Um, But that's a talk for another day. Essentially, he is exactly in the same position as a Samaritan woman. They're both human. They're both broken in their relationship with God. They both need God to be Uh, They both need Jesus to be reconciled with God. Deep inside each of us, there is something we long for. Don't you feel that? There's something there that is bigger, that is deeper, that we need to satisfy. 
If you think about it, maybe you attach um, different thoughts and desires to that feeling. Maybe it's a longing for unconditional love, acceptance, identity, purpose, freedom, a desire to be heard, to be noticed, to be cared for. You know, what if only thoughts in you are revealing those deep longings? The world offers all sorts of solutions to these longings. You know, think that if only game. The world says, if only I had a job, my desire for identity would be fulfilled. If only I was more clever or creative, younger, older, taller, shorter, whatever it is, I would be more acceptable to others. If only I had a meaningful pursuit, my life would have purpose. If only I had more money, I would have freedom. You know, none of these desires or solutions are either good or bad in themselves, but ultimately none of them will truly satisfy because they all come with other worldly issues and either rely on ourselves or on others to find fulfilment. I truly believe that only Jesus can fully satisfy our deepest longings because only he offers unconditional love, freedom, peace, forgiveness, identity, purpose and acceptance that are true and lasting. Let me take you back into the story. Jesus is positioned intentionally by himself at a well in the middle of the day and this local woman turns up to get some water. Now obviously this is a logical place to get water. There's a well. But it's not a particularly logical time. Typically collecting water would be done uh, by the women either early in the evening or, uh, sorry, in the morning or evening in the cool of the day and potentially with the benefit of socialising with other women. So this woman turning up in the middle of the day when it's hot and others are unlikely to be unlikely to be there is a bit odd. Perhaps she was avoiding others. Perhaps there was a reason she was unable to come earlier. Whatever the reason, she came at just the time Jesus was there. Random from her perspective, intentional from his. Then, randomly from her perspective, but intentional from his, Jesus asks her for some water. From a cultural perspective, everything is wrong about this encounter. She was a woman, he was a man. Men didn't usually speak with women in public. She was a Samaritan, he was a Jew. Two, two groups of people that didn't get on. In asking, for, uh, in asking her for water, Jesus was also asking to use something of hers to drink out of, and that was like a cultural no-no as well, like Samaritan germs. Ew. <laughs> And it was in the middle of the day. No one was even meant to be there. And yet here was this Jewish man asking her for a drink. I love this because of all the, despite all the perceived sort of wrongness about this encounter, Jesus invited this Samaritan woman to engage with him. And I love that she didn't walk away. She didn't just sort of like freak out, go, I just came for water and need to get home for lunch. (laughs) She stayed and she engaged. And it must have been a pretty mind-bending and heart-challenging conversation. So first Jesus asks her for a drink and then suggests that if he 
if she knew who he was, she should be asking him for a drink and that he has this sort of living water thing. I get that's a bit weird. Like from her perspective, he must have sounded a bit, what is going on here? Firstly, he flipped who needed the water. First he did and now apparently she does. Secondly, he has nothing to get the water with anyway. And thirdly, she can't see how he might produce living water, assuming that's some sort of like fresh flowing water as against the, the well water that's still and kind of dead. And then he suggests that the water he gives will mean that anyone drinks it will never be thirsty um, again and it will somehow become a spring of living water up to eternal life. Like, what does that even mean? (laughs) I'm with the woman here. I get that she can't get her head around what he's talking about. I guess it's because we live in the physical, we are physical, and we have physical needs. We need physical things to keep us alive, and we tend to think in the physical too. But there's a whole spiritual element to life. And throughout Scripture, Jesus shifts the focus um, from the physical to the spiritual. He does it over and over again. From the things that keep us alive, the physical, to the things that can make us live, the spiritual. And this is what he's doing here. The cool thing about the way Jesus talks about this sort of stuff is that taking our tangible experiences of the physical helps capture the idea of the less tangible spiritual things if we're willing to open our hearts up to them. So let me take a moment to think about water. Water is vital for life, yeah? (laughs) Physical water, H2O, is something we literally cannot live without. I think it's three days you can survive without water. Ideally, every day we need to drink water. But no matter how much we drink, at some point we get thirsty again and again and again. Jesus says anyone who thinks, sorry, anyone who drinks this water, H2O, physical water, will be thirsty again. The Samaritan woman knows this. She has to come to the wheel every day to get more water. The type of water Jesus is offering is an entirely different type of water. He uses this physical, tangible moment to speak of much greater things than our simple need for literal water. When he speaks of living water, he speaks not in the physical realm, but in the spiritual. Our literal thirst for physical water is a really tangible picture of our soul thirst for spiritual things. Our physical bodies are created in need of water, physical water, Our spiritual self is created in need of God. Just as our physical self thirsts for water, so our spiritual self thirsts for something less tangible than water, but equally vital. And most of our if-only desires point to deeper deeper spiritual things that we need fulfilled or satisfied. Chocolate, coffee, holiday homes, they're all short-term fixes, for bigger, deeper needs. When Jesus offers his living water, he's offering spiritual life. He's offering his life, his spirit. As we drink in his life, as we accept his spirit, 
That's where we find what truly satisfies. Relationship with Jesus and accepting his spirit is what will satisfy those deep inner longings, those thirsts we have, our soul longings. I've been increasingly aware in more recent times of the differences between this sort of physical, worldly and spiritual, heavenly. As I see the world through my, the eyes of my teenage kids, they are pushed and pulled by the very loud voices of peers and school and social media and internet and music and all that stuff out there. And in reality, we are too. And I get caught up in their seemingly never-ending thirst for wanting the latest thing or feeling sad that they didn't get a job or confused about their place in the world or their stress about not getting good grades or just being mad at me because I don't let them do Halloween. It's exhausting and it's draining. I might be alive, my kids might be alive, but is that really living? I don't think so. Worldly stuff just seems to create more dissatisfaction, not less. I might say if only, want, I only, if only I had chocolate, but the chocolate has to be Hague's, not Cadbury's, okay? <laughs> I might ask, you know, be, if only I had coffee, but it has to be good coffee, not the instant stuff. I'm not even going to holiday homes. Let's just <laughs> not go there. <laughs> what was it that Jesus said about that living water? That's sounding good right now. And the living water that Jesus spoke about to the uh, woman sounded pretty good. Um, I'm not going to read this section of the Bible, but if, you, if, you're, um, if you've got your Bible out, I'm sort of kind of up to chapter um, verse 15, sorry. The woman, she's like, yes, please, give me some of that water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to get water. She, like Nicodemus, hadn't made the transition between the physical and the spiritual. She was still thinking Jesus was talking literal water. Jesus then seems to say something quite random. She tells her to go get her husband and come back. She acknowledges with a half-truth that she actually has no husband. And Jesus points out to her that actually she's had five husbands and the man she was currently living with wasn't her husband. Now, it's easy to suddenly stop and focus on this comment. It might be tempting to jump in and shake our finger at her. Sinful woman, so many marriages. But Jesus doesn't make the point to judge her. He makes the point to reveal something about himself. From the bit of information we have, um, she probably was marginalised because of her lifestyle and history, and it wouldn't have been socially acceptable to have had so many relationships. But we don't know the full history of this woman, and we're not in a position to judge her. Jesus, however, did know the fullness of her history and of her being. He knew her life, he knew her heart, he knew her sin. The thing I find beautiful about that, um, Jesus knowing all this didn't ignore her and he didn't condemn her. In fact, he sought her out and engaged with her so that he could show her who he really was and offer her a new type of life. I love that Jesus shows us that he knew this woman and still set up an encounter with her, and still offered her his living water with full knowledge of her life and past and sin. 
Now, I've only had one husband, Paul. In fact, Paul is my, was my one and only boyfriend before he then became my husband. Does that make me better than her? <laughs> no. Standing before God, we are the same. My life is as murky as hers. My life is just as stained with sin. My relationship with God is just as broken as hers. In Romans um, chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Every one of us comes before God looking the same, imperfect and unable to be right before him. Yet he offers every one of us life through Jesus. God has full knowledge of me and you, our history, our hearts, our sins. And even with this knowledge, he offers his living water, his life through Christ, life with his spirit. Jesus isn't put off by our past. I hope that's an encouragement to you. He isn't put off. He doesn't walk away. He knows each one of us to our core and he invites us to engage with him, to encounter him, to accept his living water. I have to say it must be a bit confronting for the woman to have her history exposed in that way. I think I would have wanted to walk away at that point. But something about this stranger kept her engaged and she actually stays and asks a question that basically invites deeper conversation. I'm not going to fully unpack what, um, what is said, but essentially she makes a comment about the difference in beliefs between um, in regarding worship. As a Samaritan, she had some concept of the God the Jews worshipped, but it was a bit mixed in with other gods and traditions. Jesus essentially responds by saying Samaritans and Jews are both off track and God was looking for worshippers that worship in the spirit and in truth. Spiritual heart worship, not religious practices, uh, traditions and rules. Now that response seems to go a bit over her head and I can imagine her nodding politely, kind of confused look. And basically she says, I know the Christ is coming, he'll explain it then. So we see that she does have some concept of the Messiah, a Christ, and figures understanding will come later. But then Jesus says this in his words. Jesus says, I, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. When I read this statement in the Bible, it just kind of runs in and out of my head. Like I know that Jesus is the one she's speaking to. And I just kind of gloss over that whole statement. But she doesn't know who he is. To her, he is just a stranger. She's had this crazy, unexpected encounter with a random man who she shouldn't even be talking to. He's offering her living water and telling her all about her life and saying stuff about, saying stuff about worshipping in the spirit and truth. Like, what a random conversation. And now... He is saying, I am Christ. I am the Messiah. As God, I am offering you living water from which you'll never thirst. As God, I am the one who can give you eternal life. As God, I am the one who knows you fully. And as God, 
I am the one to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. The Christ she knew was coming was the one talking to her now. The living water he offered was life-giving. She didn't have to wait for the Messiah to come and explain everything. Jesus was offering her truth now. Now, I don't know anything more about the woman, woman than what I read in Scripture. But I wonder about her life and what, if only, thoughts she had. I imagine her trudging to the well in the heat of the day, dissatisfied with her life, wishing things were different, maybe feeling lonely and uncared for, thirsting for something more. God creates in us an inner thirst that will only ever be fulfilled with him. You don't have to look far to see the world offers anything and everything to meet that thirst. From half-truths to outright lies, the world entices with thoughts, expectations and material things just to drink in. The world says, find the perfect partner. Maybe that's what the Samaritan woman was trying to do. Make more money, slim down, get fitter, eat better, meditate your way to inner peace, do good things to prove your worth, work less, play more, get more stuff. The list just goes on and on and on, doesn't it? It's draining. The simplicity of placing our faith in Jesus and accepting the gift of his spirit is almost too simple. Yet this is where we will find faith in Jesus. This is where we will find fulfilment that the world just does not provide. By placing our faith in Jesus, we open ourselves up to the truth that we are loved beyond measure, forgiven, freed from sin, and accepted as children of God. This is how the inner thirst for love, acceptance, and identity is quenched. So um, I'm just going to skip pretty much the last little bit. The last little bit essentially says that the woman leaves that place. She's changed. She goes off into her town. She leaves her jar of water and goes into the town and tells everyone, come and see Jesus. Come and see this person that she's met that's told her everything. That is her response to this encounter. And uh, as time is running out, I just want to finish off in this, um, going back to this comment in his words. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. I've lived this passage this week. Um, as I sort of mentioned before, the last 12 months has been really hard. I've, I've struggled. I've felt um, drained. <laughs> I've felt um, parched. Um, I've had all those if-only thoughts. And I don't know what it's been about this week. Um, I don't really know what's changed. Maybe I've sort of emptied out my cup of all the if-onlys which has given space to allow God's spirit, God's living water to come in. And this week um, has been some, I've had some sort of renewal, spiritual renewing that's just been thirst quenching and exciting. I felt like a kid on their birthday, just the excitement and the joy and the living, the aliveness that has been in my life this week has been 
um, just indescribable actually. And the difference between how I felt a few weeks ago, which was just kind of not dead but sort of dead and parched and drained, has gone. And so um, I wonder where you're at. Um, I don't know if music team, you want to come up just to finish up. Where are you at spiritually? Those deep in the longings, what are they, where are they sitting? Maybe you're well fed with the spirit and his word. Maybe you're feeling a bit dead, a bit dry and parched and uh, need his spirit to come afresh. Um, and I just want to pray over that for you that you can let go of the if-onlys, that you can let go of all the things that are um, blocking your way to allowing his living water to come up and well inside you. Um, So I'm just going to finish in prayer and pray over that. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are living water, that living water that can well up in us in a way that's not physical but spiritual. Lord, I just pray for people that are here or listening later that are feeling dry and parched, that are feeling dead and not living, that you would help them let go of whatever it is that is is holding them back from just accepting your living water and that you can fill them afresh, that you can fill them afresh with your spirit so that they cannot just be alive, but they can be alive, they can be a living, living in the moment, living in you. Um, Fill your, by your spirit, fill them. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus and invite you to stand. While we sing this song, we're we're asking that that prayer be answered that Mon prayed just then. Um, I invite Carol and and Andrew just to come near the front here in case people want to come to Jesus and want someone with them as they come to Jesus. Sam, you might want to come near the front too. There'll just be people here. If you, you can come during the song. You can come afterwards. Uh, you can come to Jesus as we sing. He's here. He's here with us. Ask him to fill us. focused on the verse that said that I am is speaking to you the Messiah Jesus was speaking to that woman and Jesus right now is speaking to you and in the same way that it wasn't a random thing it was intentional I believe that Mon speaking this morning was Jesus's plan because there are many of us here who have that band-aid mentality that there is an eternal longing and thirsting inside of us that you are pursuing with a temporary fix. What is your band-aid? I feel like Jesus has been speaking to you and I feel like I just want to continue that this morning. What is your band-aid? What is is your if-only?
that you are pursuing that is is you and it's it's like you know it's only temporary. It's like you know that this is isn't really going to fix it, but you but you're going after it anyway. And that's what I feel like the Lord wants to, to share with us this morning as we continue to sing this song. Jesus is here and Jesus is speaking, and He knows you and He knows your heart, and and that doesn't change how He thinks of you. He knows what you're pursuing. He knows what you're going after. But he wants to he wants to speak into that. He wants to minister to that. He wants to free you. He wants to you not just to to be alive, but to live. He doesn't want you just to be alive, but he wants you to live, and he wants you to live in that freedom this morning. So, as we continue to sing, if you if you want to come forward for prayer feel free to do that but if you just want to just say Jesus I know that I'm I'm seeking this band-aid would you help me to to remove it would you help me to seek you and to find fulfillment in only you because only you can satisfy brings us to the end of our service today if you would like to be prayed for or just to pray with someone come down the front or you could go to the prayer room there's always someone there who would love to pray with you thank you mon for sharing with us this morning and i just pray that something this morning would really touch your heart and you can take that away with the lord and spend that time with him which is where ultimately our ultimate satisfaction and joy comes from So have a wonderful week. God bless you. And let's join each other for some tea and coffee now. Thank you.